Welcome back to Civil Action. This is Brian Kabatek. I'm here with uh, my my little helper. Little Sean, helper. Thank Sean, you. Sean Thank Karnickian. You. I've worked for him for seven years, and I'm his little helper. Like, I'm an elf. I think of you like an elf. Like but, an elf. So we're okay. here with Elf Shant okay. and Civil Action, and we do this uh, on a weekly basis. But normally what we do is talk about cases. We yeah. talk about cases that come down from the California. Normally Brian just bores our audience with just going on and on about appellate cases that came down. And today is extra special because we're interviewing guests here at the Cala Convention in, in lovely Las Vegas. Um, and What state is Las Vegas located in, Sean? Not the one next to California. Uh, Arizona, I believe. No, I think it's it's Nevada, and uh, it's an annual convention of plaintiffs' lawyers, and um, so we we have some of the people here in the same room. So we're doing interviews, and next we have an interview with someone that we work with by the name of Michael Childress. Michael Childress is a great lawyer. Michael Childress is a trial lawyer. He handles uh, first party insurance bad faith cases all across the country. He has one of the most interesting practices you can possibly imagine because he's a guy who goes all around the country handling these kinds of cases. We're going to ask Michael about himself. We're going to talk to Michael. We're going to ask him some stuff he's doing. In the future, we'll do a much longer interview with Michael, but this is a short one to just uh, acquaint our audience with Michael and with what he does. So, Michael, with that, tell us about yourself. Tell us what you do. Tell us how you do it. Tell us how long you've been doing it. Any kind of information like that at all you'd like to impart upon us. Well, and thank you, guys, and and I'm glad to see that um, you've broken out the beer um, I don't know what you're talking about. After doing it all this long. I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, he's, he means that it's late in the day, and Brian and I have started drinking finally. That's, that's right. That's right. Well, let's see. Um, I sue insurance companies wherever they exist, uh, all across the world. We've, uh, we've had offices in Australia responding to hurricanes and, and uh, floods, um, New Zealand for earthquakes, uh, fires, uh, earthquakes in the States, um, massive windstorms, hail events, hurricanes. You name it. We do wherever anything blows up, burns, floods, fries, we're there. Is it true that if it appears in the Old Testament of the Bible, it's something you probably handled? Well, that would be exactly right. We've not had any cases involving too many locusts. Okay, well, let's all, look for one of those. That's right. That's so right. we can completely round out pestilence. That's right. So you guys go in and help the policyholder, whether it's a whether it's a homeowner, institutional, you know, right. entity or business, uh, recover benefits from their insurance company. And Michael, why is that necessary? Don't insurance companies have adjusters that help the help the uh, their insureds get their benefits? Well, they, they they have adjusters, but those adjusters do not help those the insureds get their benefits. Um, Ninety-one percent of all policyholders, except what the insurance companies pay, and the, and uh, walk away. And so the insurance companies count on that, and a hundred percent of claims are underpaid. So every policyholder needs an advocate onto every case. Um, so you mean to tell me that insurance companies are in the business of they take your premiums, but when it comes time to pay you, they they don't pay you that much? Very funny. Yes. Yeah. They're yeah, in. There's, the, there's some sarcasm there. Yes. They're in the. They're in the. Uh, I just thought you were being ignorant. Yeah. No. I'll, normally I am, but no. In they're in the premium taking business and in the litigation business. They'll take your premium. They're not in the money paying business. And this is something. How do insurance companies make money? They collect premiums, right? That's exactly. And uh, they keep they them. don't play valid pay valid claims, right? That's exactly the other way. Right. Exactly right. It used to be they'd invest their money and make a ton of money investing it, but there's not that kind of return anymore. Well, and in fact, it used to be that 55 cents of every premium dollar was sacrosanct and kept in trust for the policyholder. And about the mid-90s, 
the insurance companies were trying to figure out how to make more profit, and they started breaking into that 55 cents and turning, turning claim centers into profit centers. And that's when the whole thing went sideways, about 92, 93. And now we see it everywhere across the world. And the, the, I think the um, Campbell decision from the United States Supreme Court that made punitive damages a multiplier of compensatory damages has had an in, a profound impact on insurance claims handling. Well, in that it gave them free license. They were no longer afraid of the, of the super verdict, so to speak. It gave them free license, like we've always had in Illinois. In Illinois, you know, it's the home court of Allstate and State Farm. And there, there are no, uh, there is no punishment damages at all. So they could literally admit that they owe you the money and force you to sue them. And at the end of the day, all they got to, all they have to pay is the amount that they already owed you. Yeah, and, and in California, it was certainly up until the time Campbell came down, which was, I believe, 2000, that the relatively small claim could result in a very large punitive damages verdict. And it kept carriers at least a little bit more honest. And it kept it kept them moving claims faster. They wouldn't delay as long. Yeah, and, and now I, I think, you know, and you can correct me if you disagree, but I think that there's a certain sweet spot in insurance claims today in that sort of thirty-five to hundred thousand, thirty-five thousand dollars to hundred thousand dollar claim, where they know you're really not going to sue them. Absolutely, it becomes an access to justice issues, and and you just cannot effectively or or efficiently handle a case that's that small. You really, the cases, the sweet spot for for cases these days, three hundred to six hundred thousand, is the, is about the minimum you can go. So tell us a couple of, uh, of interesting cases that you've handled in your career, something that, you know, is impactful to you as a person or has been impactful to um, the industry or to consumers. Well, probably my, my uh, I don't know if these are impactful to me or to the industry, but I, I do have a case from up in paradise before it burned where I was contacted by... You a mean pu- pleasant? <laughs> Pleasure. Pleasure. That's yeah. That's what that's what Trump called it. Pleasure. Ple- that's, that's right. Pleasure. That's right. Pleasure. So I was contacted by a public adjuster and asked if I could help a family, who who uh, whose insurance carrier refused to pay their claim because the odor and the contamination in their house was so great. And what had happened was, this family went on vacation, and they had hired somebody to watch their dog. The person who was watching their dog was a drug addict and ended up dying in the house and being consumed by the dog. Um, Vandals got in. Let's just, let's just pause there for a second. Died in the house yeah. and the dog ate him. The dog, That's different than the dog ate your homework. Well, indeed. The, what a way to go. The yeah. dog didn't have any food. And, and so, you know, naturally, rotting corpse availed himself. Of Delicious. Meat. Indeed, indeed. Well, and so... They, they were gone for two months, and uh, the dog had nothing but free reign of the house. And and um, and nowhere to defecate. And so the, the fecal matter got spread throughout the house. Oh. And State Farm turned down the claim, didn't pay the claim. On the grounds that it's not a covered loss? Exactly. Was it, a, was it an all-risk policy or a named peril? Because if it's named peril, I don't know what that peril is. <laughs> neither do I. Neither do I. It was just a, it was a shocking case. Um, but it was in the in the vein of too small to handle. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So um, that's a fascinating case. Yeah. Yeah. So what else? What uh, else, Sean? You got a question? 
Uh, sure. How did you get to doing what you do? Because it's a real niche. Yeah. You know, I personally know how much knowledge Michael has and what he does is really awesome, actually. And it's kind of, I find a lot, I find it really fun, but that's because I'm kind of nerdy in that sense. Yeah. But how did you get to doing this? So You didn't start doing this, right? I right. did. I did okay. start doing this. Okay. I'm, I'm one of the originals. No, um, I mean, but, but this isn't what you initially did when you got out of school or something. It is what oh, I okay. originally did when I got out of oh, law wow. school. Yeah, yeah. Ever Why so are you trying to contradict our guest? <laughs> no, no, I just wanted to make sure my Can't question is clear. Can't you for once just ask a good question? Can we let him, can we let him answer? Please? Maybe. Please. So, so, it, it, so it was quite by accident. Um, everybody else, I, I got out of law school in 1981. Everybody else was doing personal injury. And I noticed that nobody liked reading insurance policies. So I simply went where they weren't. Um, back when I started, it was not a full-time job, so I've done a little bit of everything over my life, you know, em employment cases, um, 1983 actions, civil rights actions, products liability, personal injury, if you, you name it, I've done it, I've tried it, unconstitutional taking cases. Um, and in the mid-90s, that all changed when the insurance companies redesigned the core claims process and started denying claims, and so what was not a full-time job up in, from 81 until the mid-90s became more than a full-time job thereafter. How would you clean up the insurance industry? Well, boy, that's a big question. Yep. Uh, they would need to be responsible. There'd have to be consequences for uh, their, their basically their fraud, uh, the embedded fraud that they engage in every single day, uh, stealing from people. It's low-grade stealing. You saw it. It started with uh, in the medical area with, with managed care where they started contradicting doctors' uh, judgments and, and telling them what they should and should not do uh, for medical care. And they've, it's now migrated into every type of insurance. So, Tough well, problem. When did, when, did that, when did that shift start happening? It started happening, you, you, you saw it in the mid-90s. So you got to witness that shift happening before your own eyes? It, it happened during my career. Oh. Um, you know, it all started with Allstate Insurance Company in uh, Chicago. Um, and they hired a, a consulting firm named McKinsey yep. Consulting, McKinsey, a large consultancy. Yep. Those yep. are the same people that gave us uh, Jeff Skilling and Enron. He was a McKinsey Energy consultant. And um, Allstate was hemorrhaging money, and they asked McKinsey how to, how to stop it. And McKinsey, quite brightly, said, let's redesign the court claims process to hit financial results without regard to whether or not it was covered under the we owe the money yeah. without regard to whether or not we owe the money. And around the same time, the Northridge earthquake happened here, January 17th, 1994 happened in Los Angeles. Right. And all state, like all of these carriers was hit pretty hard. And they employed a engineering firm who had a stamp from a licensed engineer who wasn't actually working there. And the adjusters were able to edit the reports and put the stamp on them and then send them to the insured saying, we got some good news for you. Your house wasn't hurt that bad by the earthquake. What? Right. They were yeah. doing that? Oh, yes. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. not just one rogue adjuster. They were doing that on, on a, a routine of corporate practice. Yeah. They were doing that. And they That's were saying wild. it was the good news, bad news. The good news is you're not hurt that bad by the Northridge earthquake. The bad news is it's just under your deductible. Your deductible. Exactly. So, sorry. Have a nice day. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. It is. I mean, it's quite an industry. You know, one thing I've seen, Michael, too, is um, most lawyers, and here at this convention we heard that there's about 2,700 lawyers. Most lawyers, good lawyers, smart lawyers, but they don't have a working understanding and knowledge of insurance. That's a fact. That's a fact. Many, many PI lawyers are good at handling 
are maximizing the damage and, and uh, expanding their cases. And then when it comes time to collect it, they've failed to consider whether or not there's any insurance that, to come to bear other than typically it's, a, it's an all or nothing proposition. So have you ever come across a, a property situation, like a first party property loss situation where the insured has been able to completely get all the benefits they're owed by themselves? Or is it generally you look at that situation and you, you're leaving money on the table? Every single time they're leaving money on the table, they simply they don't understand insurance policies. They don't understand how they operate. They don't understand how they're interpreted. And they don't understand what they don't know, most primarily. I think in a world where we are constantly fighting whether or not we're on the good side, the bad side, how the jury looks at us, what they see. It's one area where it's not a level playing field and we're on the right side of that. I sleep very well at night. Right. Yeah. And and juries kind of get it because it's hard to ever come across a jury that hasn't had somebody on the jury with a bad experience with an insurance company. Although lately the, the marketing that the insurance companies have done in terms of scare tactics, in terms of thinking... Uh, uh, influencing every jury that every verdict is going to raise your insurance premiums is it, it's become difficult juror bias does exist how do you get most of your cases well um how do i get most of my case i get them from lawyers i get quite a few from lawyers i get uh i get called quite a bit i mean doing this 38 years uh everybody knows me in the industry contractors public adjusters um insurance brokers property managers um you know i give a lot of free advice um, that's how I get them. Yeah. Yeah. Michael is a great resource, actually. Not, not, not to just plug Michael, but he really has been a great resource to me personally. And um, one well, anyone, thing, anyone who's nice to you, right? Anyone that's nice <laughs> to me. Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, I'll take what I can get. Um, no, but what, what's something... Well, the thing in, I like about Shant is he's enthused. He is. Yeah, and, yeah, it's, and it's it, so rare these days. He's it got is a great, exciting and he, stuff. And he gets this stuff, too. He really he does. does. He, he does. Shant and I have tried... At least two, right? Insurance cases. Yeah, that's right. And it's fun. It's exciting because it's kind of easy to vilify an insurance company. They're always screwing over the insured. You never see a situation where you go, they did right by them. They did that's such right. a good job. If it's coming to a lawyer's desk and there's an insurance company involved, the insurance company's always screwing someone a little bit, at least a little bit. So, you know, it, it, it's kind of fun. But what I was going to ask Michael is, What's like one of the first red flags you look out for when you're looking at a first-party property loss? Because right now we have we have a lot of wildfires going on, especially in the state of California. Sure. Um, a lot of people are making claims with insurance companies. What are some of the red flags that come to mind if you have a lawyer that has client a client or a handful of clients and they're trying to help them with the claims process? Because a lot of lawyers jump into this process without really knowing full well what benefits their clients are entitled to. Uh, initially, it would be whether an advance has been made, whether a significant advance has been made, if there's a reservation of rights letter of some sort, if they've not gotten out and investigated the loss, uh, if they're forcing the policyholder to do their job by way of quantifying the damages and whatnot, um, those would all be red flags. Non-responsiveness, um, you know, in a fire situation, they should pretty much come out and start writing checks immediately. And whenever they say, holds up here, we need to investigate, that's a red flag right there. Yeah, when it's a total loss, when it's a complete burn down, right. why don't they just hand the policy? To they should. They should. They absolutely should. All right, let's have some fun. We're going to ask you some rapid fire questions here. And uh, there's no wrong answer. There's no, uh, there's no rule. I'm the uh, arbiter of decorum and good taste, <laughs> which should scare arbiter. you. Sean's going to go first. I'm going to follow up. We're going to do it till we get bored with hearing our own voices. Okay. Very good. Uh, favorite movie, Michael? 
Um, Wizard of Oz. It's a good one. Classic. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite song? Uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, of course. Do you know the name of the uh, of the uh, composer? I do not. Harold Arlen, I believe. Ah, okay. Very nice. Useless, useless piece yep, of information. Yep, I'm a receptacle that's of right. useless information. That's, that's what I have, useless it, information. That's right. Uh, if you had a superpower, what would it be? The ability to fly. It's a good one, yeah? Yeah. Now, Brian will question why it's not invisibility. I do wonder, but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're I've mastered perfect, that already. You're perfect... <laughs> You're perfect. <laughs> That's what happens after you hit 40. That's your right. perfect um, exactly. uh, meal. Your perfect, like your birthday meal. You want a perfect birthday meal. What's it going to be? Oh, man. A birthday meal. When's your birthday? Yeah, April 22nd. Okay. I'm a Taurus on the cusp. So I'm a bull. Um, I like a good steak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd probably be a good steak. Well, you are from the Midwest. So yeah, I am. Oh, but steaks are one. great. Yeah. That's I think they're one. probably better in Chicago than they are in Los Angeles. Indeed. Your turn. Corn Fred. Um, okay. One last one from me. Uh, favorite book, or, or how about this? If you were to tell a young lawyer to read a particular book, what would it be? Or is that too specific? No, no. Um, Catch-22. I like that. Yes. Because that's yeah. the life we currently find ourselves in. That's if true. you weren't going to be a lawyer, what that's would true. you be? Uh, probably a uh, ski bum. Ski yeah. all day? You know, I, where I where I thought my calling was was explorer. I would I would be exploring the world. Of course, it's all been found so far, so there's nothing left to, to uh, <laughs> really discover. Although I do travel extensively. Michael Childress, you've been great. We're going to do a longer show with Michael sometime in the reasonably near future. This is just a little taste. We'll talk more about insurance and what's going on in the insurance world. Thank you so much for being with us here on a Civil Action. This is Brian Kavitek along with Sean Karnikian. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys, for checking us out.